chapter number four. And uh, in um, Romans chapter number four, we're down now to verse number six, with, uh, where, where Paul is going to uh, begin to, uh, he's going to bring David into the conversation. Verse six, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they which uh, they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And again, he, he is um, talking and using Abraham, Exhibit A. We, we begin to talk, we talked uh, about them, him last time, last two times. And now he's talking about David. Uh, Abraham was a living demonstration of faith um, unto justification. Justification is and always will be faith alone. That's how it works. No matter where you're at in Scripture, no matter where you're at on the timeline, time past but now, ages to come, no matter where you're at, the only response that God ever accepts is, is faith. And Abraham demonstrated that. He learned some things about the flesh, that all it led to, led to was corruption and so forth. And then he looks here now to David, and David begins to be a living demonstration of the blessedness of the issue of justification by faith alone. Uh, Abraham lived before the law. David lived under the law. So David's a different little character here. Uh, the the uh, issue under the law with David and what David's going to demonstrate is that the law provided no provision for a real, legitimate, honest remedy for the issue of sin. Now, the law demands that they go and do some things, come and confess, make sacrifices, but that was just temporary. It, they had to do it every time. Because the law works under a short account system. The law works under a, a system of you have to perform, do it, to get the blessing. Do it, or don't do it, and you get the cursing. And, and so when David, uh, Paul's going to use David here. And by the way, what he's doing, Paul's doing, is he is... Um, anticipating objections to the conclusion coming out of chapter 3, verse 25, 26, 27, 28 there. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And the law requires, under, and the illustration used here by Dave, about David, is it required certain activities to gain. And the law says, do and live. Don't do, and you die. So David lived under that system. Abraham and David were circumcised. Now, when we get down in verse 9, starting next week, we're gonna, he's going to delve into the issue of circumcision and uncircumcision, and he's going to use Abraham to do it. Okay, And we'll talk about that next time. But when Paul says here in verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Again, in light of what we've just come out of chapter 3, the, the end there about in verse 25, the end of that verse, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past 
through the forbearance of God. That's what David's going to demonstrate, is that back in the Old Testament, God made a provision back there in time past, and when somebody trusted in that provision, the law and what was going on, and what God's commandments were and the word to him was, that he could forgive, be forgiven of the future sin, of that sin because of the forbearance, that looking towards Calvary. You see, God the Father knew the Son was coming and was going to die. So he can reach back here and forgive, and it's all, it's all done by faith. And that's the issue here. David is going to be forgiven, and he's not going to quite understand how it was done or why it was done. He's going to go and by faith go to Nathan. We're going to see it here in just a minute. And he's, that's why verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, notice, without works. David is going to go do what the law required him to do. But Nathan's going to tell him before he ever did one iota, one thing the law required, Nathan's going to say, God forgave you. You're forgiven. See, Now David, being a just man, being a, a Bible believer, he's going to go and do what the law said, but Nathan's going to say, God forgave you. Blessedness. I, I, I love that word, blessedness. Uh, David... He didn't understand how it came about, but he did know something about the joy of forgiveness of sins. And that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning with David is that issue of total forgiveness. And he's using David that way. Notice verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man. Uh, come back with me to Genesis chapter 30. Blessedness, uh, it... <laughs> Again, the built-in dictionary in your Bible, Genesis 30, the word blessed means happy. Genesis 30, verse 13. And again, you, you, can, you, you understand, we've talked about it enough here with the issue of the um, built-in dictionary of your Bible. You go over there, that word let, you study that word let out, it means to hinder to, you know, retard, slow down, you understand that. Genesis 30, 13. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me, what? Blessed. And she shall call, and she called his name Asher. So blessed means happy. Asher means happy. See? How it's all defined there. People ask me, how do you come up with definitions of people's names in Scripture? Well, this is, an, this is the illustration right here. What it, what, I'm happy. They're going to call me blessed, so we're going to name it Asher. Name him Asher. So Asher is blessed or happy. So when you come back here to chapter 4, we find David is going to talk about joy. He's talking about the happiness of a man whom the Lord, whom God imputed righteousness without works. He's going to be talking, again, David does not understand the how or the why. He just knows that, they, that he has been forgiven. And it's because Nathan tells him that. Come over with me to Psalms 32. Psalms 32. 
And I know a few years ago over the summer, we did some uh, summer sessions about Paul using Old Testament. We talked about David. And I just, we're talking about David this morning. (laughs) And I don't want to cheapen him up or skip him or anything. But look at Psalms 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David, now David doesn't say it quite like Paul quotes it, okay? And the reason for that is, is because Paul is explaining the how. How, man, how. He's explaining what, da- what David didn't understand. He's look, Paul's sitting here with the completed revelation saying, th- when David said, blessed is the man, this is what he was talking about. Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man into whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. What David learned... See, the question here is, when did David learn this issue? See, he's saying it. Paul is going to amplify it and clarify it for you. Come over with me or back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And notice David's great sin here. 2 Samuel chapter 11. You see, when when Paul says in Romans 3.25 about the forbearance of God, he's using David as exhibit B to bolster that, to prove the claim that there was a forbearance of God. There was God looking at it, dealing with... with, I, I told you when we went through there, what kept God back from whacking the sinner the moment he sinned in the Old Testament? What kept him back? What... I mean, man, when David sinned, why didn't God just cut him off and be done with him? Why? Because he has a provision. It's called the forbearance of God. When Israel sinned as a whole, as a nation, why didn't God just wipe them out? He had every right to because he has that provision of the forbearance of God. So in the case, in the courtroom where Paul's presenting The evidence now, he brings up exhibit B, David, and says, here's the picture of the forbearance of God. Watch it happen. Now, 2 Samuel 11, here is where, uh, start in verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. Well, start in verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at at the time when kings go forth to battle. I love that. There's a time on the clock, on the calendar, when the kings went to battle. They just didn't go anywhere, you know, nowadays they can go anywhere at any time, but they were waiting for the right season. You know what got Napoleon in trouble fighting Russia? You know what got him? Wintertime got him. (laughs) Okay, poor planning too, but winter got him. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an evening that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? 
And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Don't... <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. And there's his sin. He took the wife of another man. Okay? Verse 6, And David sent to Job, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Job did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all his servants of his Lord, and went not down to his house. David, I'm going to cover my sin up. I'm going to bring her husband home, and you know he's going to go home and be with his wife, and that'll take care of the conception issue that's going to happen here. But what did Uriah do? He was a, he was a mighty man. He, was, he, he said, no, my, buddy, my team is out there fighting. I'm up here at the king's. I got all this meat. I'm living high on the, uh-uh. And he camps out in front of David's house. That didn't sit well with David. It didn't do what he needed done. Verse 11, and Uriah said unto David, I'm sorry, verse 10, and when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And you know what David does? He gets up a letter to send to Joab that you put Uriah on the front line so he'll get killed. And guess what happened? He got killed. Verse 17, And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there found some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. And they come back and they come in and tell David all. Verse 22, verse 27, And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the timing that David had done, I'm, I'm sorry, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What did he do? He committed two great sins, sin of adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery, and then thou shalt not kill. He committed murder. Now, what did the law demand? Death. But that didn't happen to David. Chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he Spare, and, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for that man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man shall 
that hath done this thing shall surely what? See, David knew the prescription. He knew what the remedy, he knew what the law required. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives unto thy bosom. And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that has, had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore, Hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Wife, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of, the son, of this son, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Look at that. That's where David learned. Blessed, happy is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin. Right in that moment. Now, do you see David doing anything in there? What did David do in that passage? Absolutely nothing. He listened to Nathan tell a story about the rich man and the poor man and the lamb. And David's like, wait a minute, man, the law says, boom, we're going to get him. And Nathan says, you're the guy. And instantly what happened? David knew what, was going, what he was talking about. And there was an act of contrition with David. And there was an act of, uh-oh, I messed up. And before David ever did anything, so we haven't read anything. By the way, you keep reading down there, verse 15, and Nathan departed under thy, um, verse 14, uh, Howbeit because of this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Boy, isn't that the case? Notice that David, God does not overlook David's sin. He forgave it. Because David's sin has a consequence. You're going to bring blaspheme to, to God before the Gentiles. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto, unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Verse 18, and it came to pass on the seventh day. Isn't that interesting? How He didn't even make it to the eight days to be circumcised. On the seventh day, what did that child do? It died. You see, David, he didn't escape the law. Come back to Psalms 32 now. What David understood at that moment when Nathan says, you're the guy, but the Lord forgave you. David had done nothing at the, at, to, he had not, he confessed his sin, but he had not offered the sacrifice to pay for that. Do you, do you see that? That's, that's why Paul is pulling David up to say, look, 
Here's the issue of the blessedness of that justification without works. Because it, rain, it covers that, that great doctrine of total forgiveness. Psalms 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Notice when David didn't... You ever do something wrong? I know you guys don't, but I do. So you do something wrong and you don't tell somebody and it just gnaws at you and you get guilty. And you're guilty and it eats you up. And finally you tell somebody. I usually tell the shower because the shower doesn't argue. You know, get, I get it out and I feel good. You know, I know the shower. If the shower could talk, it would tell a lot of stories, right? See, that's what David's talking about. Man, when I kept silent, verse 4, for, the, for day and night, Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the, the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, for this shall ever want, for this shall every one that is Godly, pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto you. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou hast compassed me about with songs of deliverance. Look at what David did. David, he lived under that law. He, he says, I kept silent and it just, the, the sin and the guilt just ate me up. And when I came and confessed my sin, 2 Samuel 12, you forgave me. He, I, he, he goes, I, I, I'll go down there and offer the sacrifice, but I don't need to because Nathan said what? You're forgiven. God has forgiven you. He has covered your sins. You see, that law, the law system was the... the it's called a short account system. Keep short accounts. Write it on the chalkboard. Keep them up. It's a performance-based acceptance system. And he, David here, he had intended to go and do, to, to do what? To clear the account. But what did Nathan say? You don't need to. You've been forgiven. So when Paul picks up David here back in Romans 4, he's gonna, he uses David in that issue of, hey, look, yeah, you're justified by faith without the deeds of the law, and because of that, there's an issue of total forgiveness that's going to set in. Chapter 4, verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So you see, Paul here, the legal term, imputation, impute. Impute means to write it down, to charge it to your account. And you know what Paul says? You know what David learned? Just like Abraham learned about the flesh, that it was worthless, no value in it, David learned that, in, 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 that God totally forgave him. He didn't write it down. 
he cleared the account. And instead what he wrote down was God imputed righteousness without works, the end of verse 6. Imputed righteousness is, being e is equal to will not impute sin. Paul says, look at David. You want to see the case study? You want to see the evidence? What happened to David? David should have been stoned to death twice. Adultery and murder. But yet he didn't. Now, David suffered the consequence of, a, of, a, of being a, becoming a lousy dad. <laughs> okay? And because of the issue with Bathsheba, a little bit later, one of his boys goes in and has relationships with his sister, and David goes in to do it, and you know what his son says? You have no place to speak because of what you did back over there. So old man, sit down and shut up and get out because I'm taking the throne. And he kicked him, kicked David out. So much so they go, David, what are you doing out here? You're supposed to be up there. He goes, oh, no. A louse of a dad. The sin, the consequence was still there. But in God's eyes, what had he done? He had cleaned the board off. And Paul, picking up on that, is illustrating that when God imputes righteousness to your account, he not only erases all of your sins, but he writes in righteousness. And again, in that dispensational mode here, you know what Paul's saying? We're justified without the deeds of the law. That law has been, the short account system is over. And the evidence here presented by Paul using David is, is really the key to understanding that issue of total forgiveness. And the fact is, is that total forgiveness is a basic truth of grace and the message given to the Apostle Paul. Because if he didn't totally forgive everything, then what are we? We're most men miserable, aren't we? See, Paul comes in, he, David, here's the exhibit. He's already used Abraham, so we already know the flesh didn't get it done. But when you mess up, what's God? Blessed, it's gonna, here it is. We've already seen, you go back there to chapter 3. You've already seen verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. He reaches back and he says, listen, from Adam on, from the beginning on, guess what I did? I practiced the doctrine of forbearance because I knew my son was coming to die at Calvary. So God the Father looked forward to Calvary. By the way, not the Old Testament prophets. You'll hear preachers say, the Old Testament saints look forward to Calvary. That's a bunch of hooey. Because when God told them, listen, I'm going to go die, they said, not so, Lord. You go read Matthew 16. He says, from this time on, I began to show up that I got to go down there. And they get all, no, 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 Luke 18. They have no understanding. They don't even understand this information after the resurrection. You go read John. They're like, huh? What do you mean he's gone? Where'd they take him? <laughs> well, he's done told them like six times he's going to be resurrected the third day. 
all through the so they didn't look towards Calvary they were looking in the moment and God says there it is verse 26 to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus that's right now Romans 3:26 that's right now you see Paul's already been through this where's boasting it's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of what? Faith. You see, Paul's bringing in the issue here that it's always been by faith. No matter where you're at, it's always been that for formula. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we what? Establish the law. See, we've been there. And then in chapter 4, he says, here's the evidence. And you know what the evidence is? Is that that law system has been dealt with. And it was dealt with at Calvary. Come over to Colossians. Come over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And get on your way. Ah, Colossians 2 will work. Verse 14. Verse 13. Well, shoot. Yeah, it's a 13. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your heart, of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you, how many? All trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. You know what that law said? You go back there to Ephesians 2. I was going to take you back there, but you know what he says? He says back there underneath that law, you are a bunch of uncircumcised dog Gentiles. You had no hope. You were without God. You were aliens. You were cut off. You had no, no ground to stand on. But finish verse 14. Nailing it to his what? His cross. He took what the law required and demanded, and he says... I got it covered. Having spoiled principality and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, his cross. So when you come back here to Romans 4, law, on your way back to Romans 4, stop in chapter 11. What Paul's hammering out here, and again, he's anticipating the Jews saying, whoa, wait a minute, you just said justification was by faith without the deeds of the law. Hold on there, little dude. Who do you think you are? The law of Moses has been around a whole lot longer than you have been. And he says, okay, exhibit A, here's that Abraham. Oh, whoops. Ephesians 4, or Romans 4, 5 there. Uh, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his what? Faith is counted for righteousness. Uh-oh. Exhibit B, here's David. What did David do? He violated the law in the, in the most egregious manner, and yet what did Nathan say God said? You're forgiven. Romans 11, verse 6. Always have to remember this verse when you talk about the law. Romans 11, verse 6, he says, And if by grace then is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. The very definition of grace excludes works. 
But if it be of works, then it is no more work, uh, no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Chapter 6 of Romans. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Boy, when we get into 6, 7, and 8, we begin to learn about that identity we have and the life that we're now destined to have and we've been equipped to have. He says, sin doesn't have dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under the what? The law. By the law was the knowledge of sin. We've already seen in Romans 3. The strength of the law is where? In that flesh. And guess what? What did we just learn? What we're going to, well, we, we're learning in 6 is that that old man's been crucified. That old flesh has been dealt with. In a couple weeks, I'm going to do a series on about the body, this flesh, because you've got some decisions to, that are coming our way by, because of the politicians. And I, I, think, I think you need to know, because I need to know what Scripture says about your body and who it really belongs to. You know your body doesn't belong to you, this flesh. It belongs to the Lord. you got some decisions to make about that. And there's some scripture about it that helps come along and say, you know what? On some scriptural basis, guess what? <laughs> I'm going to just say, no, thank you. Or I'll just take it in the neck then, okay? See, there's some things here that are very critical here. Why? Because you're not under the law. What does that law say? That law comes along and says, you've got to perform. Come over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I gave you a scoop ahead on the next coming messages. Galatians chapter 5. You see, that the law comes along and says, you got to under, under the law. You're not under the law. Under It's control, rule, reign. What rules and controls us? Grace, see. And he says, you're not under the law. You're not underneath that performance-based, the if-then. You go back there. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you, I, I read that one time to a guy and he says, Rick, that's so much easier said than done. You know, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's just an excuse. It's just a give me a get out of jail free card. What's that verse say? If I walk in the spirit, I won't do what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. See that? Now watch verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then Paul gives you another one of his great list. You want to know what the works of the flesh look like? There's the list. Isn't that interesting? So when your life activity is matching something in the list there, guess what you know you're doing? Not walking in the spirit, you're over here walking in the flesh. You see that? That's so wonderful. That's why it's not, it's a bunch of hogwash to say it's easier said than done. He just gave you the out. He gave you the information. Verse 18. But if you be led of the spirit, ye are not under, notice, the law. Notice how he says in verse 16... If you walk in the Spirit, verse 18, if you be led of the Spirit. See that comparison there? 
Walking and being led. Then he says in verse 16, you won't fulfill the lust of the what? The flesh. And then in verse 18, he says you're not under the law. You see how walking in the flesh and being under the law are connected? See that? So if I'm walking under the flesh, what am I really walking under? The law. I'm, I'm in a performance-based system now. I have to do, if I do it, then I get the blessing, and if I don't, I get the cursing. Now, look at verse 18. If ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God, working in your inner man, will never, 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 can I say it again? Never lead you to live under the law. So if you're living under the law, who did it? Not the Spirit. You did it. If you're living in sin, who did it? You did it. You're not living as who you are in Christ, in that identity. Okay? Now, by the way, if you live in sin and live in the flesh, God doesn't send a lightning bolt out of heaven and zap you. He sends the Holy Spirit through his word to reprove and correct and instruct you. Being led by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit means that you're walking in line with what God's doing today. Is God doing the law? No. He's doing the grace. Performance or free gift? I'll take the free gift. Thank you very much. The twins' birthday is coming next week. And so, obviously, you know, a couple presents going to get bought. And it's like, wow, I'd like to have those gifts myself, you know. But what is it? It's a gift. And what do you say when you get a gift? Thank you. Okay? The law. Come back with me to Exodus 19. Let's talk about the law for just a minute here. Exodus 19. You may say, yeah, Rick, I understand this, but I'm doing this because Paul uses David, who is under the law, to demonstrate the joy, the happiness, the blessedness of the man unto whom his sins are forgiven without doing any works of the law. By the way, you want another illustration of that? The thief on the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. What did the Lord say to him? Today you'll be with me where? In paradise. You know that man didn't get off the, get off the cross and go get water baptized, as was the, requir, uh, the requirement? He died on that cross. But what did that man demonstrate? Faith. And that's what the Lord saw was his faith. See? Exodus 19, if you look at verse number 5. Israel has come out. They've, they've been wandering around uh, the wilderness there. They've had their five testings. The Lord has provided for them. He's protected them from enemies. And it comes up there, verse 5, 19.5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. 
and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded. And all the people answered together and said, Lord, thank you, we're glad that you did that for us. No, what did they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick. And you know what happens? Verse 12, And thou shalt set a bound unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves. And you know what they could no longer do? They could no longer approach God the way that they had. You know what that law said? was added, Galatians tells us, because of the transgression. Sin in the camp. And the law comes along and says, if you keep my covenant, then you'll be a peculiar treasure unto me. Come over to chapter 20. Chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, you see the ten categories that the other 600 and so commandments will fall up in. These, this is the law, the ten the other 600 are case law, case studies. If this happens, and this is what is done. If this happens, and this is what is done. Thou shalt not kill. Murder, instant death, right? But what happens when it was manslaughter? You still killed somebody, but there was a situation in it. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was the provision for manslaughter? Do you remember? Run to the sanctuary cities, the refuge cities. And then when the family came up, they couldn't kill you, see? So you could live out your days in that city. By the way, he's still guilty. He just, the punishment was such. See, follow what's going on there? Chapter 20. Look at verse 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Look at that. Fear, death. Moses, you can speak to us, but don't let God, because, man, if God talks to us, we're going to die. What were they scared of? Death. Fear. You know what the law's motivation is? Fear. Fear. Fear, fear of being punished. What, don't let God talk to us because we'll die. They're scared to be punished. Fear of punishment was the motivation to perform. Not motivation like you and I have of the love of Christ constrains us. Not that motivation of gratitude, of a heart of thankfulness for what he's done for us. But rather for fear. Look over in Deuteronomy. So fear is the great motivator. You know what David did when he found out Bathsheba was with child? He's scared to death, so much so he killed her husband. Then he knocked off her husband. He's a little worried that the, that the press were going to find out. <laughs> That's why he says, I kept silent, Psalms 32. I kept the silence. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't let the cat out of the bag. And by the way, the messenger that delivered the letter, he was too in the battle. 
say. Deuteronomy 4, look at verse 10. Deuteronomy 4.10, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. Learn to what? Fear me all their days. Do you know that, Paul, that the Lord looked at Moses in Exodus and he says, listen, they know me as God Almighty, the creator. I want them to know me as Jehovah, the provider, the great I am. After Exodus 19, you know what he says? They got to fear me now. Jehovah, five testings. They comes across the Red Sea. They get on the other side. Five Jehovah compound names. Every one of them, is, he's a provider. I am Moses says, who do I say sent me? He says, I am that I am. I am, fill in the blank. I am whatever you need me to do. I am Jehovah. That's what that word, title Jehovah means. I am, blank. Fill it in. He never finishes that sentence until he gets to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus when he says, who art thou? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Now he filled it in. Up until that point, Israel could fill in the, bl the blank. Deuteronomy 6, again, fear me all the days of thy... Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive, as it is at this day. Chapter 10. Fear the Lord, our God. Chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Isn't that fascinating? They said, what do we got to, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? To fear the Lord and to keep his commandments and statutes. Fear. You see, the motivation, come back to Psalm, over to Psalms 51. When you fear punishment, when you fear the punishment of your sins, there is an emotional response that comes with fears of an emotion, but there's an emotional response, furthermore, to that fear. And it's, the, and it's the emotion of shame and rejection. If you're expecting to be punished, the feeling of shame and rejection and, and worthlessness begin to develop. And you really quickly kind of get down in the mouth, if you will. So the thing under the law was fear. Now, again, they had to confess their sins. They had to go and offer the prescribed sacrifice. Look at Psalms 51. The heading of Psalms 51 tells you when this psalm is, is uh, written, the context of it. He says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. 
So Psalms 51 and Psalms 32 go together. See that? So when David wrote Psalms 51, what was happening in his life? Nathan's down there getting him. Okay? Psalms 51.1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Notice it's plural. Not just one, but both. Get them both, Lord. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Notice how David does not blame God for the problem. He blames what? His old sin nature for the problem. See that? See, David understood things. Romans 1, when we went through there, notice how Romans 1, verse 28, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. David retained God in his knowledge. He understood Adam's sin. He understood that what these laws were doing. By the way, David held the office of king, prophet, and priest. He held all three. When Saul tried to become a priest, what Lord do, what did God do to him? Uh, got him. <laughs> Slapped his hands a few times. And then ultimately killed him. Look at keep reading, verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. David Laying prostate out before the Lord. Says what? Blot them out. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that fantastic? David knows he's messed up. And he knows what the law requires. And David, out of a motivation of fear, is worried about something, isn't he? He's worried about losing, not just being king, but his soul. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and upon me, I'm sorry, uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach. Teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Blood guiltiness. Wow, what a word. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Notice what David says here. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God or a broke sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Notice how what David understands. He understands that what God's after is that broken and contrite heart. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Notice David does not say, don't do. He says, you didn't require it. What you want is that contrite heart. You see that? When you have the contrite heart, then what does God accept? Verse, the last verse there, verse 19. Then those sacrifices of the who? The righteous. You see, faith is the issue here. By the way, come back to Romans now. David, every time David messed up, do you know where he went? To Nathan, to God. He gets down there and says, boys, bring me the ephod. i got to talk to the Lord. <laughs> you know? His the king to follow him, Solomon. He dismissed Nathan and the prophets. He let them go. He asked the Lord. The Lord said, I'll give you anything you want. He says, give me wisdom. Wisest man to ever walk the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see every philosophy thought man has ever come up with sits in that book, Ecclesiastes. You read it. You just find Plato, you find Aristotle, you find Socrates, you find all of it there. They plagiarized the Word of God is what they did. It's Solomon that says there's nothing new under the sun. And yet, you know what happened? At the end of his days, he went outside of the land. He married some outlandish women. And his picture at the end of his life was that of the Antichrist and 666 sitting on a great white throne, judging. Sad day in Israel's day. That's why when he died and the judges started, the judges, that book of Judges was able to take over and, whew, what a mess. Romans 3. What Paul's doing is laying in, hey, I'm sorry, Romans 4 there. <laughs> Blessed are, verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Folks, that's grace. Freely handing you the blessings without activity. Chapter 3, verse 24 there, we've already seen it being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Not performance, based on fear motivating to get, but rather on a motivation of grace, freely, the free gift. And the motive, great, come over to 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll be done here, I think. I think, why not? Well, the clock says I'm supposed to be done in like five, four minutes. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us. His love for me. Not my love for him, because my love for him wanes day in and day out. But rather his love for who? For me, never changes. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose. The great motivation of living for him. It's done freely. It's done by faith. It's done in his grace. He's come along 
Come back to Romans 4 there. And he is taking care of everything. Total forgiveness. Now, we didn't go back and look back there where you can go back into Psalms 103 and he drops your sins off further from the east or the west. Or he comes over there and puts them all behind your back. And you go over there in Micah and, and he jumps them off in the deep blue sea. Okay? Completely and totally forgiven. And David pictures that. Total forgiveness doesn't mean he ignores your sin. Doesn't mean that sin doesn't have a consequence. Galatians 6 says you're going to reap what you sow. And if you sow to the flesh, what are you going to reap? Corruption, see? But what it says is that what God does is he reaches in by justification by faith unto eternal life, and he moves them all off the table of your account. And he writes, my righteousness. (laughs) And we'll see in chapter 6, the justice of God says, good, and he writes in, eternal life. Okay? Now, starting in verse 9, next time, 4-9, we're going to see Paul bring Abraham back up, but it's in response to an objection about circumcision versus uncircumcision. And we're going to find out that this dual thing here with Abraham, and that's how he, Abraham, that's how at the end of verse 16 he can call the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, because it's going to, that issue of faith, that's what, that's what Paul's proving in the courtroom, okay? So David is a, someone not to just skip over and go, eh, okay, because David sits there and says, I messed up. I have a contrite heart, Psalms 51, beautiful psalm. I'll go do that stuff you want me to do, but I know what you're really after is that contrite heart. And broken heart. Because that stuff, eh, that isn't going to get it done. But I'll go do it. And I know that when I go do it with that contrite heart, you'll accept it. Nathan says, you don't have to do anything, man. You're forgiven. And David goes, blessed, happy. Woohoo! I'll tell you what, having your sins forgiven is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Now, I'll see you back here at 11 in just a minute. We'll talk a little bit more about some of this, okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son, for everything that you've given to us in your, in your son, and for the walk that we, you have equipped us to have in, in him. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.